Hello and welcome to the Rethink Energy podcast. I'm Simon Thompson and Rethink Energy is the research service about renewable energy markets and their investment possibilities. And here with me on the podcast today, we've just sent out the the weekly newsletter, uh, analysts Peter White, Harry Morgan and Andres Wantanar. And uh, Harry, if I can turn to you first, uh, what's caught your eye this week? Uh, so the two big headlines this week were two sets of uh, climate targets, uh, one coming from a, a group of oil majors and other from uh, Joe Biden as part of his presidential election campaign. From the oil majors, we had a group called the OGCI, um, which includes companies like ExxonMobil and Chevron, which is obviously really exciting. This is the first time they've really uh, committed to any solid climate action. But there is quite a lot of nitpicking to be done. I mean, the only real target that's been set has been one on carbon intensity, so it doesn't actually guarantee that there's going to be any real reduction in emissions. I think the real thing that we can hope from it is that it sort of brings an age where we've got this transparency and sort of clarity almost in how these climate targets are assessed and how scope emissions are are measured. Um, I mean, we saw through the target itself that, I mean, the target specified a cut from 23 kilograms to 20 kilograms of CO2 per barrel of oil equivalent. But then when you look at the figures that are being reported by companies like Equinor and companies like BP, the figures are often below this just because they're not actually considering the full scope of emissions that are actually being emitted from the upstream oil and gas assets. Okay. You know, this is a bit like Genghis Khan saying, I'm going to carry one less knife. <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, when the, when the history is written about this, no one's going to remember the oil companies because they're all going to be bankrupt. They'll remember Joe Biden, uh, probably the least remarkable president in history, more than they remember the oil companies. So these... These statements are, are gibberish. You know, it's, it, we, we need to be looking to sweep these uh, companies aside and bring their equivalents. If they can't do the job of spending their money on renewables, then they, they need to be swept aside by someone who can. Yeah, I think there's a certain amount of greenwashing going on, to be honest. I think, that, I mean, if, if you look at the actual specifics of the targets, uh, it, it says something around like a 13% cut in carbon intensity, but that at the end of the day, only will really account for around 2% of the, the full cycle emissions from their end-to-end oil operations. Yeah, and the article's great. It, sh- it shows that. It absolutely shows that, that this is a small storm and a small teacup. Let's move on to something that's actually going to make a difference. Okay. Well, thank you, Peter. And if I can turn to you, Andres, uh, what caught your eye this week? Uh, well, one thing I'd like to mention first is this Al Dabdaba. 1.5 solar complex in Kuwait, which they cancelled because uh, it was supposed to be developed by the national oil company, but with the oil crisis, it finally ran out of money. And they'd been delaying it before then for years, but uh, this was like the excuse for the people in the government who didn't want it uh, to be developed. Uh, but instead, the Ministry of Power and Water might take it on in- instead uh, and bring it back larger than before, actually. But it's still, it's still quite embarrassing to just cancel it after they'd even received tenders and, and things like that. But we'll have to, you, you can't say much more about it until the ministry brings it back and retenders it and all the rest of it. So the other one was um, Singareni Collieries, which is an Indian coal mining and coal plant company. Uh, they're the latest of that kind of company in India to branch out into solar. They've done some, some ground-based solar earlier this year, uh, but now they're looking into floating solar as well. And I don't think India has a large-scale floating solar thing yet in, like, the 50-megawatt scale. It's got some under development, though. And this time, Singareni Collieries is looking at 500 megawatts. 
which is it's pretty re- respectable um, in comparison to what India is going to look at. It, it, it will probably have 2.8 gigawatts in the country uh, over the next five years, according to this okay. survey of CEOs. And they're, they're the two main locations in the country for floating solar will be obviously hydroelectric dams. That's always a good one. Um, but also the country has all of these thermal plants and they have their own reservoirs for balancing. So actually they'll be putting a lot on those as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, China, China um, has so one of the biggest floating installations already. And I think it's only 75 megawatts um, is in China and it is a flooded coal mine. It's not it's not the actual uh, reservoir that's been created. It's but it is a coal mine that's been flooded as they tend to flood once you switch all the pumps off. Um, and that, of course, is near, you know, you've got the transmission right there. Uh, it's the same principle as the dam. You know, if you, if you start from the point of view of where have I got transmission and where's the nearest water supply, you're going to often end up at a coal mine. Yeah, and it's, there's that astronomical fact that, Peter, I think you said, is, someone, is that 22,000 reservoirs in China? No, no, it was the, no. the, the Chinese built 22,000 dams in the last 20 years. Two years. Uh, it, it's a, I mean, their hunger for electricity in China is legendary, and um, and you know, for, for it still be growing, that need for electricity at five or six percent, even the size that it is, is incredible. And I, you know, that's the that's one of the world's biggest problems here. You know, because that's why they keep building every kind of plant because the electricity requirement in China is. So hard to keep up with. Other countries are growing faster as a percentage, but there's an absolute number, China by a long Okay, well, thank you. And, and you can read more about that in our floating solar forecast uh, that um, is all about the global floating solar market until 2030. Okay, well, and to change the subject, so Peter, what caught your eye this week? What, what have you been working on? So, I mean, it's an old idea, a very old idea, it's the Hyperloop. Um, I first heard about it when someone suggested um, making a vacuum um, uh, tube that travels from New York to San Francisco about 12, 15 years ago. Since then, uh, Elon Musk uh, tried to do a much smaller one from San Francisco to LA, uh, 400 or so miles. And he open sourced all of his work and, and then about seven or eight companies have sprung up from that. He gave up on the project, but he solved a lot of the problems and, um, and made it popular. And now there's, um, it's, it's a very small thing. A testing company has partnered with one of the uh, Hyperloop businesses and has come up with their, their test suite uh, of what it is they will test for um, to build a Hyperloop. Once you're starting to position yourself for testing, you position yourself to build them. Um, a Hyperloop is basically a tube. You suck out some of the air. You kind of emulate the conditions at about 70,000 uh, feet uh, in the air uh, and make the air thin. And you remove a lot of the air resistance and you use linear induction to uh, drive um, a, a capsule full of people uh, at something just under the speed of sound. Amazing. Uh, I mean, it, it, so the Virgin's talking about connecting um, London to Edinburgh, uh, and, and other people are t- still talking about that San Francisco to LA, and other similar four or 500 mile journeys. Um, here's an interesting fact that um, because the amount of energy, you just start the thing up and fire it, and it, and it needs almost no energy. 
it's it's 50 megajoules per passenger um, to deliver over a, 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 a 500 mile journey. For a train, that's more like 800. For an aircraft, it's more like 1,000. So the energy requirement is minuscule. Um, you know, why didn't we do it when the UK did HS2? There's a paper on comparing HS2 with um, with it, and Elon Musk, you know, he reckoned it was down to $25 million a mile to build this, and everyone's gone, well, he's missed out a few of the costs. It should double that. Yeah, well, that's fine, but the um, the HS2 uh, train line is going to be $212 million a mile, you know, um, eight times that. So he, he figured you could get a, a, a round-trip ticket from L.A. to San Francisco and back for $40. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and he may have been wrong. It may be $80, but it's still going to happen. It's going to happen in the next five to ten years. I mean, one, one thing he thought is he thought you could build um, solar panels along the length of it. Well, we've moved on now. We can print perovskite over the whole tube. And, ah. and use and no electricity apart from uh, solar. It, it's an amazing concept. And and Harry, you, you've been working on um, other uh, forms of transport, fuel cell trains. Yeah, well, about the same in the train sector again, um, I suppose it's probably slightly less uh, futuristic than the Hyperloop concept. But we were doing some research for our upcoming hydrogen report, and we were obviously focusing in um, on hydrogen trains in Europe in particular. And... Trains are sort of a really important market to pick out for the hydrogen sector. Um, I mean, hydrogen offers advantages outside just the, the normal of going to sort of clean energy. And it's also quite a small market, so it'll be really interesting to see how that develops. It's almost a blueprint for markets like trucks and, and sort of heavy vehicles moving forward. Um, and, and in the sector, hydrogen's already sort of cost competitive with diesel trains. So there is that sort of instant um, zero risk when you're sort of making a, an investment in that in that sector obviously you can't talk about trains without talking about electrification i think it's something like 20 percent of rail traffic is still run on on diesel trains which accounts for around 40 percent of the network and, and what that shows is that these diesel trains are being used over over long distances basically and um, sort of low utilization which is where these hydrogen fuel cell trains can can sort of enter the market We've seen um, companies like Alstom uh, introducing trains. Obviously, they've got zero noise and they've got zero requirements to to electrify the line. So you don't need overhead cables, um, and you don't actually really need to do any major work to the train line itself. I just, I just think, you know, it's 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 a, a reoccurring pattern that I keep noticing. We're going to have new industries, very large industries that are over a hundred years old, replaced by slightly newer versions. And it's only going to be one or two of the existing suppliers. You talk about people like Alstom, um, yeah, that are going to be able to make that transition. It's it's not electric vehicle. Everybody originally thought you just take the existing vehicle, you put an electric powertrain in it, and and that's how most of the car companies are behaving. They're not reinventing or rethinking the car. But there's 500 car companies in China all waiting to come out and spring out with very um, new inventions around the car. Um, I believe that we are going to see uh, almost every energy industry, trains, transport, uh, heating, lighting, everything totally disrupted, not just the energy that's supplied to it, but the whole landscape is going to change in the same way that um, 
we saw in one of our other product lines, Faultline, we've seen a, a, a transition from broadcasting to streaming, and it's it had huge economic impact. None of the big um, broadcast companies uh, have grown in the last 20 years, and they're all, all, all creaking, and, and possibly some will die, some big names. And that's going to happen right throughout this community, and the train, the train industry is next. Okay, well, um, it's about time to, to wrap up the um, the podcast there. So, uh, Harry, can you um, summarise um, what, what's been happening uh, in the week in, um, in a few points? Yeah, so I just thought I'd pick up maybe my top five worth noting in orders. Uh, so first, we've got the construction that started on the world's largest subsea cable. So that will be the, the Viking Link transmission line between the UK and Denmark. I think the National Grid just received a... A pretty hefty loan, which will allow that to sort of move forward into the uh, construction phase. Um, again, in the UK, we saw SGN um, first like, proposing plans to power a green hydrogen for heating network using offshore wind. Uh, so that's really exciting. Again, to see green hydrogen being picked up early on in a new sector. Uh, we saw Rivian um, with a 2.5 billion uh, funding round, um, which is quite peculiar, really. I mean, it's it's another sort of thing is it is it hype is it not i mean rivian's still yet to actually deliver uh, an electric vehicle so it'll be really interesting to see how that company is valued moving forward and whether or not it continues to to have this this massive value that sort of tez has been given um we also see the uk government remove limits on battery storage capacity projects i think you wrote about that andres uh, and what that essentially means is that projects of 50 megawatts and over can now just go through uh, local authorities rather than going through the the national planning process, which can often take sort of 10 years or so. Um, sort of looking more broadly, we actually saw the uh, the European carbon price actually bounce back up to the price we saw pre-lockdown um, and actually reached a, a record price of €30 Euros per tonne of CO2, which is massive considering it, it fell to around €5 Euros, um, sort of in the middle of uh, lockdown measures. Okay. Uh, anything else from anyone? Uh, well, there was also a, uh, a pro-battery regulation in the United States. Uh, the United States Court of Appeal in the District of Columbia uh, has allowed a regulation, uh, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission Order 841, to pass. And that allows distributed energy storage to participate in the wholesale market. So that's that's nice. I guess it's, a, it's quite different to the UK thing. And... Some Canadian solar companies have co-signed a letter to, uh, to the Canadian government uh, complaining about how they're being treated in Mexico, which, uh, like we mentioned before, is trying to roll back the pro-renewable policies of its predecessors. Um, and it's been doing things like pausing uh, the uh, commissioning of solar projects and renewable projects. And another thing was D Dominion and Duke Energy, which are these two big state-level utilities in the USA, uh, they've sort of colluded with each other to uh, announce this plan for a regional imbalance market. And it's quite funny because the Solar Energy Industries Alliance has, uh, its vice president has actually complained about this, saying, well, it's good, but it, it shows that these big monopolies are still um, trying to, well, they're trying to remain monopolies and exercise their power. Uh, and they're both big political donors as well. So that's quite interesting. Uh, that's all I, ha all I have. The 841 issue is really important. I mean... It was, it was just a few people that had complained about it, and it was a court case and it went to appeal. Um, I think we all expected the 841 order to go through, and most states 
and most ISOs over there have taken it seriously from day one, um, which was back in 2018. But the um, now it'd be interesting to see what PJM does about this, which which is a marketplace around about a dozen states in the middle of the country, uh, which are very heavily dominated by coal and fossil fuels. If they are forced to uh, embrace battery properly, we're going to see yet another acceleration in the battery market in the United States. Okay, well, we're going to end the podcast there. A full listing of all the articles, the stories that we've just been talking about can be found on www.rethinkresearch.biz and hit the energy button and you'll be able to see uh, dozens of articles about various aspects of the renewable energy industry, plus our forecasts and our deals database and webinars as well. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye.